Welcome back to the Gen Z Speaks podcast. Uh, with me today, my usual co-hosts, Matt Gutierrez. How are you? Doing great, sir. Doing great. How are you doing? Uh, I- I'm really just hanging in there. I've been fasting this last week because of Ramzan, Ramadan, and uh, it's it's been pretty tough so far. But uh, feeling we're almost almost there. <laughs> almost there, meaning three more weeks of fasting, but. Uh, all right. You feel drained? No, I don't feel drained. It's just hard to get stuff done towards the end of the day, middle of the day. Because when you fast, all you can think about is just food and water. <laughs> you know, True. I don't know. It's a, you just get used to it, but it's whatever. Um, and Jenish, how are you? Doing great, man. Great morning to start off the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very early morning that we're recording this, and it's all good. All right, uh, let's let's dive right in, I guess. Um, or do you guys want to talk about something before we dive right in? I, um, I, I was just telling, uh, talking to them about how Elon Musk bought nine percent, nine percent share or stakehold in Twitter, and he, he tweeted fourteen hours ago. I don't understand how he has the the balls to say this, but he said. Convert Twitter's uh, San Francisco headquarters to, to a homeless shelter since no one shows up anyway. <laughs> oh, tweeted, dang. And he made, he made it a poll, and 1.4 million people have voted so far. <laughs> Elon Musk was also on the board of directors for, for Twitter, so he actually has say in what happens at the company. <laughs> he, the first things he tweets is convert the Twitter's San Francisco headquarters to a homeless shelter <laughs> since no you one know. Shows- I mean, it is kind of funny, but it's kind of true that a lot of these like, um, you know, tech companies are working remote now. And mm-hmm. a lot of these, uh, I mean, all that space is just being used for nothing. And so, I mean, he does have, even, even though he's kind of joking, he does have a, or maybe he's not joking. Maybe he's serious. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about Elon Musk, man. This guy. No, he's serious. Yeah, right? Because yeah. they're working remotely. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Are they working in a hybrid model or something like that? I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. It's it's just funny to me that like it, it's pretty like if you're a CEO of the company you don't want Elon Musk to be like he also choking did, like it, that. By the way, he also tweeted nine hours ago. He made a, a poll. He said, "Delete the W in Twitter." <laughs> <laughs> yes or no? And then the oh, option yeah. the options are yes, and then the other option is of course. <laughs> <laughs> wow, dude, he I mean like he saw his uh his rodeo. Giga, um, Giga factory show. No, I, I, I watched part of it. I, I just, I didn't watch the whole thing. So funny. Just the way he even pulls up. It's like on the first Tesla roadster. He has like his cowboy hat on. Cause he's in Texas. It just, it's just being stereotypical and um, just like proving a point. Like I'm in Texas now. It's just, he's a clown. <laughs> he named it uh, like the rodeo something, right? The yeah. Something Giga, something rodeo. Rodeo Giga factory or something like that. Yeah, so. Um, but the whole Twitter thing, I think it's just crazy that you're telling me he owns 9% and the founder owns 2.5%. It just shows you what money can do and what money can buy, right? Like you can literally have one of the most influential social media platforms and be like the biggest, largest figure there um, just because you have money. <laughs> like that's actually bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. The only reason. Yeah. It, isn't it crazy? Like how much power he has? Like 
to be Elon Musk must feel like invincible. <laughs> like he has like what's who's gonna tell him otherwise at that point? Like the amount of wealth that he has, no one yeah, can mean, really like you know. And everybody like kind of, um, you know, is supporting him from the government to like you know all these companies and everything. I mean, there obviously has a lot of opposition as well, but it mm-hmm. just feels like a lot of like politicians are hyping up Elon Musk, saying how you know um how much influence he's had and i mean he has and it's been yeah it must feel crazy actually a lot of politicians want uh like elizabeth warren uh from massachusetts she's a democrat she she actually hates elon musk and regularly tweets against him saying like he should pay more taxes and like he calls her names and like it's a back and forth on twitter he like argues with these senators and and and, yeah i've I've seen that i think warren is like arguably a commie but no, I think Elizabeth Elon Musk Warren is like, one of the few, like, actually, she knows what she's talking about. But I disagree. It's, but okay. it's for another day. Um, right. What are you going to say, Janish? I feel like Elon Musk has paid the most tax or something this last year of any other. Yeah, any he's the richest. He's been the richest. Like, he has yeah, so to I, I, I mean, I don't know what Elizabeth Warren's talking about. If you're paying, like, $9 billion in taxes, like, I don't know what else more you can do. Even if you're the richest man in the world. Yeah, I mean, it, huh? Elon is such an interesting guy. He it isn't doesn't he have Asperger's syndrome as well? Like he's on the yeah. spectrum, right? And and he yeah, I mean he's um, clearly not let that disability stop him from being at the forefront of culture as well. Like he's shaping so much more than just cars. I feel like he was well, on SNL. It's just for um talking like, right? social, yeah. yeah. So he's just not social. That's what I'm saying. Keen. Like, like but exactly he what he's popular socially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's exactly. a smart That's what guy. I'm saying. Like, yeah, he's he uses awkward it. and he knows it. Yeah, yeah, he's like a little yeah. socially, but but like it's like he's he comes off as funny. Like the tweet yeah. that I just pointed out is just funny. <laughs> it's genuinely <laughs> right. funny. Like even though it's uh, if you're a Twitter employee or you work for Twitter, it's it kind of sucks. But like, it's he's a funny guy, I guess. That's true. Um. Yeah, yeah. Money can buy you so much. I mean, it's 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 I guess sad in some ways too. But yeah, he can literally just wake up one day and decide to buy up a company, like a random yeah, company, exactly. if he wants to. Insane. Uh, I wanted to talk about uh, a topic that we discussed last week. Uh, it, it was about Pakistan and how the prime minister, the Imran Khan, was was facing a very a big political battle. And yesterday, he was officially ousted from government Uh, so what happened was the supreme court was reviewing his decision to dissolve the national assembly and as i mentioned in the podcast last week it's it's very illegal to do that and it's against the law and the supreme court unanimously ruled against against his decision and so what that meant was that the national assembly would do their vote of no confidence against him and since they already had the votes that was a very quick vote and they, you know, removed him from office uh, and he's gone now. And now the National Assembly, I believe, has to pick an interim prime minister. Uh, why it's important is that Imran Khan has been saying that the United States wants him out. He has this letter from a United States diplomat or ambassador saying how they don't like Imran Khan because he doesn't want to rely on the U.S. completely and he doesn't really want. Uh, he doesn't want to listen to what they have to say in terms of how Pakistan should conduct its foreign policy. And he's refused to show this letter to people saying that it has like national security 
information on it so he can reveal the contents of it. But he keeps speaking of that letter to like say the United States wants regime change. And uh, you know, I I it's I don't know what to believe at this point, but it's very easy to believe that the US wants regime change in other countries because we've done it so much all around the world in different continents. Uh Janish, what do you think about this so far? I'm not sure. I I I what I find fascinating is how how does the U.S. have the, I mean, obviously the U.S. has power to, you know, influence other countries' decisions, but mm-hmm. specifically in Pakistan, does that mean that U.S. is supporting the opponents of Imran Khan or are they you know, yeah. supporting the political parties that are opposing him? So what he's saying, man, is his whole political philosophy is that he's not in it for the money. He's not in it for the fame because he already had that, right? Like, he was a famous cricketer, right? He won. He's he's the Michael Jordan of Pakistan. He got them a World Cup in cricket, which is huge, which is like it only happens once in every five years. And he did it as the team's captain in 1992 against England of all nations, right? And so he already had the money and the fame and the glitz and the glam, right? And he came into politics because genuinely he wanted to change things and he wanted a better country. And his argument is that Everybody else who's in politics in Pakistan hasn't really done anything with their life except for politics. They're in it for the money and the power. Primarily, the political party, uh, it's called Noon League, and it's headed by these brothers called the Sharif brothers. And they were named in the Panama Papers. Like, they've done money laundering. There's a lot of corruption allegations against them. They're crooks, basically. And he's right about that, that every other political party besides his, for the most part, are corrupt in it for the money and the fame. And they care more about their personal well-being than uh, anything else. Just to give you an example, the Sharif family, these two brothers are billionaires. They're billionaires and they're in politics. Can you believe that? So like, they're American dollar billionaires, not like Pakistani rupee billionaires. Like they're genuine billionaires. And so like they just steal money, dude. That's what they do. And that's what he's saying that everybody else and w- how they become rich is that they do what these more powerful countries want them to do and they let them stay in power. And so Imran Khan and saying that the U S wants these other people in power because they'll just listen to what the U S has to say. They'll just be, as he calls them slaves to them. And Imran Khan genuinely wants like an independent foreign policy where they're not really relied on one particular country, even though he has really, really amicable relations with China. Uh, but yeah, so that's his whole, uh, you know, whole, what's it called? Uh, his whole uh, policy or approach to all this, what's been happening. He's saying that the U.S. Has met, is colluding, essentially, with these other opposition political parties to get him out of power. And he hasn't really shown any proof of that, but it's not hard to believe because the U.S. has done this kind of stuff in the past. But it's just like, since we're we've been talking about regime change in Russia and how Biden kind of went off book and said that Putin needs to go, even though that's not the policy of the United States. It was just like interesting for me to see this story unfold. And, and again, in a country that's uh, that has nuclear weapons, you know. So my, my next question would be, um, and I know you kind of, maybe you don't have an idea, but why is um, he not just releasing the whatever um you know information he has i mean at this point what is there to lose i mean he's already out of power he has nothing 
I mean, maybe he really cares about, he said there's some uh, national security issues with that uh, document. But um, I mean, at this point, I feel like he has nothing to lose. Yeah, he said, I was watching one of his speeches. He's done a lot of speeches recently, and he's a really good speaker. I'll give him that. He, he's saying that there's, there's this code that they use on all national security documents that's on this document, which is why he can't uh, release it. It doesn't make any sense to me. My hunch is that he's exaggerating all this. He's blowing it out of proportion. Maybe a U.S. diplomat ambassador official made like a, you know, a remark about Pakistan and uh, it it wasn't like representative of the official policy and he's taking that out of proportion and like using it as a way to save himself from being ousted again what he did in terms of dissolving the national assembly it's illegal it's unconstitutional you know you can't do that and he resorted to those means to to save himself uh regardless of what you think about the opposition you know you can't do you can't do illegal things you know to justify <laughs> yourself like the election is gonna there's gonna be another election in the country in, in a year and a half and so it's not like the election can he be... can he uh re yeah uh, he can run again absolutely okay. he can run again but yeah he's he kind of tarnished his legacy in that like in his last days he kind of dissolved the assembly and it was the supreme court had to overrule it and stuff and he doesn't really have any credibility i guess on the global stage now because like he's using you can't just accuse a country of meddling in your affairs without any sort of proof. It's just like this random letter that we have no idea about. Yeah. Again, I still admire him. Like I grew up like Michael Jordan, like imagine if he runs for president, like you'll still love the guy if he messes up. Right. It's like the same thing for me. Like it's our Michael Jordan, Imran Khan. And like, I still like the guy and I still think he's the best leader we have, but it's, it's just sad to see how these leaders, yeah, they miscalculate and they, they make these miscalculations because, in, in my opinion, like they surround themselves with people who are yes, yes men and they can tell them no. And like he's so powerful, like I doubt that anybody said no. The deputy attorney general, though, in Pakistan resigned when he did that. And so, you know, I don't know. Um, what, like I, you've been telling us like last week and then this week, it just seems like there's just so much crossfire going on in Pakistan. And it's like, him, you know, maybe acting out of turn is just, it doesn't help anything, right? Like he's getting ousted just like everybody the last 20 years you were saying, right? Last, no, and last like 70 years. Like 70 since, years. It's See, nobody it's even, has ever completed a full term. Nobody in prime minister. How mad is that? That's, <laughs> that's bonkers, dude. It's unimaginable. Yeah. Right. So obviously there's something going on like internally where it doesn't make sense. Right. And, and um, it just, it, like in the U.S., it's extremely hard to get somebody, you know, um, what's the word, uh, impeached, right? Nonetheless, like, house it out of office. And so, like, for them to not have a single term completed, like, that's just crazy. And so it just shows, like, maybe something, I mean, obviously something's going on that we are not, we don't know about. Um, I just, that's my two cents. I think, like, why why go and resort to these means if you're trying if i mean i think if he like managed and like made the term like the entire term like he'd be renowned for history right like in history like i'm the first one to yeah you know finish a term <laughs> in pakistan it's um, an accomplishment for sure right he could have for sure like you know maybe eased up a little bit and tried to go for it but you know mm-hmm. you know let, let, Let's assume, um, like, the Imran Khan is correct, and you know maybe it is something happen- like U.S. is manipulating um, pa- something in Pakistan, right? 
my question would be, why why are they trying to get Imran Khan out of power? I, and I know you mentioned uh, last week where, you know, Imran Khan kind of wants uh, a Pakistan where, you know, international countries are not governing its, its um, politics and its, you know, overall agenda. So is, is that the reason that you think that they want Imran uh, out of power? Yeah, assuming that you said, you know, if the U.S. actually is involved, they, well, number one, don't like him because of that. And number two, he's unpredictable. He's a populist, right? Like he, he is very much has the politics of Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump combined. Like that's his politics. And he, you can't really, he, uh, you can't really predict what he'll do next. And, and thirdly, I think it's, he, um, yeah, I, I, no, actually, I think it's his unpredictability. That's probably the most irritating factor for a lot of Western nations. Uh, because in the past, right, like, a lot of these leaders have been just puppets, you know, they like they'll do whatever the U.S. wants them to do blindly in, in some instances. And so once you give away that card, it's so easy to predict you'll do. And then you just become another one of those like cards for the U.S. Like, you know, and Imran Khan has refused to become that. And he wants independent foreign policy again. Like he has so much hypocrisy even within that policy because he's overly dependent on china for everything he refuses to criticize china for the uyghur muslim genocide you know and like pakistan is a islamic republic and they imran khan refused like he he was like oh china like i don't know what's going on i don't i'm not too familiar like he, he was like very he yeah he like tried to like not talk about it and how I mean, do that it's hypocritical right i mean that's like every country in the world though you know, no, not not. I mean, not the U.S. The U.S. criticized China in, in recent history. Yeah, but what is criticism? I mean, calling it a genocide. Like Imran Khan doesn't even like he refuses to acknowledge that there is a problem there. That's mm. how bad his policy is. Like he doesn't even talk. about you're right. A lot of other countries are the same. I mean, no. I'm I'm just saying nobody is doing anything about it. Everybody's still That's buying true. stuff from China. Still supporting China's like economics and forever, know, man. Yeah. Money wins, just like we were saying earlier with Elon. Right, like he could buy whatever he wants. Yeah. <laughs> people are trying to save a buck um so i'm not sure if you're aware ibrahim but i'm actually like really curious why is do you know like maybe the past few um terms like why they ended or what their reasoning was oh like in terms of the history what's happened yeah usually it's it's like they resign uh because of political pressure like like so in Pakistan the political system is a parliamentary system you need coalition so there's like more than there's four there's like four major parties four to five major parties and in order to form a plurality in government you need to have coalition partners like imagine if there was the green party or the purple party and the green and purple and democrats all have to work together like it's a coalition they're like gotcha. one alliance and then there's the opposition. So the opposition will be like Republicans or something like that. And then there'll okay. be a leader of the opposition parties or something, you know? So it, what happens is that because there's so much internal politics, and again, like that's the downside of having more than two political parties. I know a lot of people in America say, oh, we should have more than two political parties. Like it's, look at Pakistan. They have so many political parties, so many options, and none of them get along. Or like some of them do at certain periods of time, and then some don't, and it's like, really hard to follow what the party itself actually believes because at the end of the day it all just becomes like internal party like wars conflict, essentially right. conflict and so part of the reason why a lot of uh 
leaders have failed in the past is because of that, you know, because uh, parties don't get along. There's a lot of provincial politics as well. A lot of it has to do with the military. If the military does not like what the leader's doing, sometimes they, there's martial law. <laughs> like from 2001 to 2009, there was martial law in the country. That leader just literally took over, a uh, military leader. And Really? He, yeah. His name was Pervez Musharraf. He lives abroad now. But yeah, he, he took over. And people actually say that in times of the military rules, Pakistan does better. And it has done better during martial law. So it's, it's really, it's like, if you study the politics of Pakistan, there's so much to learn from it. Because like, you start to realize that it, it, you, can't, you can't be in politics for personal reasons. Like you li- really can't. Like, I, that's why I think you should do something before you enter the field of politics. So you're not doing it for the money or the fame, like, you know, even subconsciously, if you enter for the right reasons, you'll eventually like want the money and like, you'll be addicted to the fame. And I think that's what happens to people. Once they enter and they get a taste of that power, man, they want it and they want it really bad at all costs. And that's what's happening in my opinion. House of cards. House of cards. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, house of cards, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. None of so- the institutions in Pakistan work. Like America's institutions actually work. Regardless of our criticism, like our Supreme Court is independent for the most part. You know, our Congress works and like our presidents complete their terms. You know, it's right. only happened once or t- like what, two, two times a president's been impeached and one time a president has re- resigned. It's remarkable to say that, you know, like that those small things we take for granted, <laughs> you know, as the world's biggest and strongest democracy. But they're actually like amazing, like how well our institutions work. What would you give that to, like a strong foundation, or what would you give that to? Well, dude, Pakistan is a young country, right? Like they've only like 1947 they became independent. 1947, right. that's like literally like my grandfather was born like in, in 46, in, yeah, 46, 47, yeah. yeah, and like so, it's a very young nation. Again, like they were part of India and Bangladesh, and and right. like the United Kingdom ruled over them, and so like it's hard. <laughs> So, you know, when you're a colonial, a col- they were a colony, you could say, like, you know, the British ruled them and like How to enslave to the British. Uh, they were. Uh, yeah. So like, what would but, you say about the states? Because, I mean, similar situation, just different time period. Yeah, it just, I guess, uh, different the time period, though. You know, it's what? like the 1700s, late 1700s and America. Yeah. Uh, they just had an, a better foundation, I would say. Bad, better foundation, better constitution. I mean, uh, Pakistan had a great foundation too, but they just became involved in like so much cultural war, like cultural stuff. Again, the battles with India, they've been to war with India three times. Three times. Thousands of people have died. <laughs> like, it's, it's crazy to me. They've went to war with their neighbor three times. I think also yeah. what is uh, really uh, insane about American government is the fact that uh, I mean, I'm sure there's a there is corruption in American politics system. I'm sure of it, but to the extent that it is in Pakistan and India, no. The the level of corruption in Pakistan, India, and probably I'm not sure about Bangladesh, but I'm just grouping them together, yeah. is um is insane. From local to state to national, every level there's insane amount of corruptions. Like you think the you know the police force is corrupted here? No, man, go to India. Or go to go to one of these uh, go to Pakistan. Like you'll see what corruption truly is. You can pay off anyone as long as you have money. You could you know like 
make laws you could do anything if you have money and you know ibrahim was saying about the sharif family i'm sure that's um they have a great deal of power in pakistani politics um even though they're not you know elected as prime minister or whatever i mean dude think about this guy okay so these two brothers the older brother nawaz sharif was convicted by the pakistani courts and he lives abroad because if he comes back the cases will reopen this guy has been jailed like a documented he's a he's a fraud but his brother is going to be the interim prime minister it like how you know like people also one thing i forgot to mention is like the illiteracy rate in pakistan is extremely high people are not educated there and that's I, I think that's the foundational primarily problem because people are not educated. And when people are not educated, they get brainwashed by political right. leaders. And that's what happens. You know, people are brainwashed. They, you know, fall easily into the hands of politicians. Like, yeah. So since like Pakistan is like deemed an Islamic state, I mean, I think that also is a dilemma, right? Having church and state being like on the same level and a lot of conflicts. It, it just seems like historically speaking, what the state will do is, um, you know, they'll try to use the mm. church as like this type of hierarchical being and, you know, try to control you in that way. Um, and I mean, I'm not entirely sure, but I'm pretty positive that that also happens there. Right. And they try to say, you know, this is not what Islam wants. And Islam is also like obviously a higher being than just the government. And so yeah. is that accurate? Well, it, you have a point in that so many of these leaders um, use religion as a, as a calling card to, to their supporters, but none of them are actually like, they don't practice any of the, uh, uh, you know, concepts of Islam. Like they are corrupt. Oh my God. Like beyond imagination, they lie every day. Like they use religion as a way to, to convince everyone, but they're not actually practicing any of the teachings. And so everybody's using religion for their own purposes. Like they're manipulating it to their own, but you're right, though, like there's like, you know, in America, we have a secular government where the church and state, even though, you know, we have God and all our dollar and notes like there's no the state has no official religion and freedom of religion in America is amazing. Like it's amazing here. Yeah, there's problems. But in Pakistan, you know, it, it's hard for the minority community. That's when my family had to come over here because we're part of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and like the state. We can't vote. Nobody in my family had ever voted in Pakistan and we fought in the same, we did the same sacrifices that everybody else did. And so that's also one of the reasons why Pakistan can success be successful because they don't respect their minorities and they don't respect people who disagree with them religiously for them a lot, for the most part in terms of politics. And so I I think that is one of the reasons why uh, the country has done so poorly, you know? That's it's unfortunate, but it's and people like, pay taxes. People pay taxes in America, in Pakistan, <laughs> for the most part, dude. No one pays taxes. Like people yeah. pay taxes, but the rich and ultra wealthy don't pay. Like there's no IRS there. I mean, same in, it's the know. same system in India. I mean, um, I've I've been kind of you know not keeping up that much with Indian politics, but I have uh, learned that you know after Modi, there's been some increase in you know tax pay and um, there's some tax reform, but generally in Indian history, um, there's no such thing as taxes, like maybe 1% of the population pays taxes. And what's crazy is like in India, um, you know, if if we can get that number to like 5%, you know, even just 5% of the population paying taxes, right? That's such a large number. And that's so much more money for the government uh, because of the population, right? If you have like a billion people, the 5% of that is just a huge amount. 
but the, the the reason and the sentiment in India is the reason a lot of these citizens don't want to pay taxes is because they know the government's corrupt. So if they're right. paying taxes, they're just giving their money to these corrupt individuals that are using it for their own well-being. So they're like, why should we pay taxes, right? We're just getting screwed. Here, when we're paying taxes, at least we know there's an institutional system that's, you know, overseeing everything and making sure that uh, it's going to the right, um, you know, uh, funding and whatever, right? But in Pakistan, it's just like, oh, we know, like we know for a fact these <laughs> uh, these individuals in politics are corrupt and they're just going to steal this money. So, I mean, yeah. I guess that's where I need to move in, right? I don't like paying taxes. <laughs> Trust me, man. You don't. You don't not want to. You don't know. No, I get it, man. I mean, like, I, yeah. I get the point of view. Like, if they're not going to do anything with the money, why pay it, right? It just—it's a foundational error, and then you got to fix that before you go ahead and convince the people that you're doing right by them. I think. I think just before you continue, I think that is yeah. in countries like Indian Pakistan. From what I'm like, just my intuition, that is one of the largest problems is that we don't, they, nobody trusts the government and there's just too much corruption. And, and to even like understand what's going on there and try to solve it is just impossible. Because when I went to India, uh, I went to India a couple months ago and I spoke with, you know, a lot of the, uh, my family and relatives there. And I tried to ask them like, so well, what is, you know, what are we, what, what is happening about this corruption? What are we going to do about it? And they're just like, nothing. We're not going to do anything. We're just, <laughs> it, it is what it, like, they've just admit, they're just kind of accepted the fact it is what it is, right? It is what it is. And we just have to live with it. And there's, it's just so hard coming up with a solution for corruption because it's on so many levels. It's like nested into society or their political um you know system so it's just incredibly hard yeah it seems like just i mean again historically speaking like issues like this have been solved before right I, but the, the difference is like we're now in like an age of information and so since information is just everywhere it just it's harder it's kind of like a double-edged sword, right? Because more change is attempting to happen, but it seems like less change can actually happen. If that makes sense. Like, for example, like, like what, what can I say as, as an example? Oh, let's just talk about like church and state again, right? Like, let's talk about England. So like England, they, they completely dismantled it, right? They went from Catholicism and then they had the Protestant Reformation and then everything was changed, but they saw, they saw like an institutional error in Catholicism, right? And so they made that change. But like, just like you're saying right now, it's not very different, right? I mean, sure, I mean, corruption isn't in a different form, but corruption's still there. And I mean, the citizens are saying that, you know, it's not possible. Before, it was like, okay, this is happening. Let's do something about it. And I'm not saying it was easy, but it was happening, right? Rather than now, everyone's just admitting that, Not, it's not even admitting, it's just giving up, basically. It's like they're giving up in, in their country and in their institution just because it's, it's hard. Um, and it just, it's a weird way that society has, has gone. Um, but it just, it seems like that's happening everywhere. People are just giving up, you know? I'm, well, I that's mean, what Imran Khan, like to his credit, didn't want to do. Like he, he always says like he plays to the last ball, like, right. So like he said, he did everything he could to stay in power, but like he, he's one of those guys, like he doesn't want to give up and he's, he's been, think about this man. He left yeah. cricket in 1992 or 1993 and he, came into politics after three, four years, and he's been in politics for 26 years, 26 years. And he became prime minister three years ago. Yeah. So for 23 years, he had to strive fight and nobody took him seriously. Like who takes a former cricketer turned 
politician seriously. Nobody does. Like nobody would take LeBron James seriously if he ran for politics. Maybe they would, but probably right, they won't. And so they he's took Arnold the, seriously, huh? They took Arnold seriously. That's true. That's true. And yeah, that's, but but again, he was than. he was the governor of a state. It's still he wasn't like the true, not the whole country. You know? True. So yeah. Imran Khan, like nobody in Pakistan had ever done that before, too. Like Ronald Reagan had become movie star president in America. Right. Was, there was no precedent for that. So. He was in there, man, for 23 years. He battled it out, and he never gives up. Like, I'll give it to him. He, the athlete in him is still there, and you can see it. He's 69 years old, and he, he, you know, he's, <laughs> he's going to come back, I think. And he's going to – he probably may, may be prime minister again. But, like, I think it comes from the leaders, man. Like, when everybody sees the leaders uh, act in a way that's not, like, in a leaderly way, they, they give up. And so it, it comes from the top, and it's like a top-down approach where if you don't see it, you, you know, and your leaders, you kind of give up. So, okay, but like even with like Martin Luther, like he wasn't like a, a state official, mm-hmm. and like people just believed in him. Like or even like Martin Luther, Martin Luther King. I'm not talking about Martin Luther King the original. I'm talking about the Protestant Reformation. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. just to clear up. Uh, but even like Martin Luther King Jr., like he wasn't like a state official, and people believed in him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what is it? What's the difference? I mean, people believed in Imran Khan too. It was like a revolution almost where a lot of the young people voted for him and he became prime minister. He didn't work. He didn't do as good of a job as people thought he would do. So it's not like people, people are looking for change, man. And people are trying. It's not that they're giving up. It's just, it's just that the, the institutions in the system aren't working because time and time again, the leaders are failing them. And when sometimes come, when some like an agent of change comes like Imran Khan, everybody turns against them because they don't want they they they, they fear him right because like yeah and it's and especially so, the rich the yeah the, like yeah. the people who are in power and that don't want things to change yeah they want uh, the status quo to remain so yeah i mean he tried and he you know didn't do as good of a job as people maybe thought they would and pakistan is interesting because 60 percent of the population is under the age of 30 can you guys believe that? It's, really? Yes. It is a very young nation. And so, like, economically, it is literally going to be really, Under the age of 30? I believe so. I believe so. It's, it's, I believe so. I think Imran Khan said this in one of his speeches. That's why I'm quoting him. Uh, you can look that up. But, yeah, it's a very young nation. It's, regardless of that's not true or not, that statistic, I think it's true. But it's a very young nation with young people. And a lot of these old people, 60, 70-year-olds, again, are making a lot of the decisions. Yeah, 64%. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right? Under the age of 30? Under the age of 30. Wow. 64%. It's even more than 60%. That's that is insane. A, that is it. Wow. What a crazy statistic, right? 64%, dude. Dude, I'm actually wow. baffled right now. This is nuts. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the population of the country is about 220 million people. And it's a, you know, by land size, it's not bigger than California and Oregon combined, maybe. So, yeah. Wow. It's, that's, yeah, it's that's not absurd. that huge. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to come up in the next five, 10 years. It's going to be really important. But what can you the... base that off? Is it like just the death rate or what happens? <laughs> I don't know, man. We just Do they just leave? No, after uh, age? I, I looked up the life expectancy. It's 67 years, which is not that. That's uh, no, That's about normal. Uh, it's definitely I mean, lower. I mean, US no, it's not, no, it's, yeah, it's less than normal. It's like 78. <laughs> yeah, 78. But it's yeah, not I absurd. Mean, my point is, but like, so, but do they just leave? What do you mean leave? Do they just leave Pakistan? Like, because, I mean... They don't leave. Well, because, no, it's really hard to leave Pakistan. Like, get any visa. It's impossible to leave. And it's or are they just having way more kids? 
I don't know what it is, dude. Honestly, and they're like outweighing. I guess it's a sixty-four percent. That doesn't make sense, bro. That's almost two-thirds of the country. Can you look up India's? Like, what is? I want to see comparatively. Is India? Janish, do you know? Is, uh, let's not I'll look it up. I'll look it up. There's one point some billion, one point five billion compared to like a few million. You know? Yeah. So it's not really compared. But the thing is, like, what? Whoa, 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 whoa. Have, like, what? what? India has more than sixty-five percent below the age of thirty-five. Wow. And See, 50- wow. That is comparative. What is Wait, happening, yeah. dude? India yeah. has more than 50% of its population below the age of 25. What? Yeah. No. Really? Yeah. Yeah, this okay, is okay. Wait, last thing. Can no, you look dude, up that, the United okay. States? Can you look at the US? I want to see. The US yeah. is filled with baby boomers. I mean, like, we let, let's see. Like, wow, dude. So yeah, India's <laughs> man, just when I thought Pakistan had a chance, India just completely 65% over the age of 35. Wow. They have a lot of kids, Jenish, in India. Um, yeah, I think they did they they, they did in like I mean. Of course, they have a lot of kids. They're the second largest population. Well, yeah, they I have think. no. It has no choice. Yeah, yeah. But that's bizarre to me, man. That just means they're just going to continue to like exponentially increase. Because if each kid has four to, to one, right, four to their one parent, well, I think that's like changing. Just... With, I think that's changing with the young generations. But if that does continue, they'll they'll be like insane amount of. Uh, you know. <laughs> There's one and a half billion, dude. That means what? Go ahead. I think in the U.S., it's only about twenty. Five to thirty percent, which are under the age of thirty-four or thirty-five. See, okay, that's actually rational. Okay, you're talking like a four-to-one change. That means in a century, there's gonna be like four billion in India if it were to continue at the same rate. <laughs> like that's insane, dude. Oh wow! <laughs> Just wow. in India, that's half of the world's population will go to India. Essentially, that's freaking funny. Wait, uh, chi- so China <laughs> is struggling with that, right? Like a lot of people in China. So breakdown, there's 63% working age. Hmm. So in China, it's, it's, they're struggling, right? Like I believe a lot of the population is aging and um, because of their one child policy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's dismantled now, right? But it's- Yeah. Yeah. It's not in no longer in effect. That definitely yeah. didn't help them out though. Yeah, yeah. it didn't. Because now they pretty much um, don't have, I heard in some parts of China, they don't have enough girls to like, you know, get guys. Yeah, they like, don't. So- it's kind wow. of like the guys can't even get married or, you know, look for a partner, even if they wanted to. So. And there was like a gender thing too, right? Along with the one child policy. Like if you had more than one, if you had more than one girl, they, they wouldn't allow it. But if you had a boy and then, a, and then a girl, it'd be okay. Really? I'm, yeah. not familiar. I'm, I'm not familiar with that, but I know that a lot of the families, like when they had girls, they didn't want them, and you know they would maybe even abort them or something like that. Yeah, but, uh, I think the whole the whole idea, or like with what I just said, is they want somebody to carry on the family name. But if there's more than one female, then it's just like what's and their logic, right? Doesn't make any sense. But like their logic is like they can't carry on the family name, so why have more than one girl? All um, right. Which is I'm, I'm, I'm actually a little shocked by the Indian statistic that 65% is, you know, at the age of 35. All right, we, yeah. should, we should move on to the next topic. Yeah, let's move on. Okay. Um, okay, so I don't know if you guys heard about the, I mean, we talked about it, right? The congressional hearing uh, regarding these, because obviously oil prices and these oil hikes are one of the, like, testing topics of, our, of the past few months. 
Um, I mean, here in LA, we've seen $7 gas prices for, um, you know, 87 uh, gas. So that's just absurd, right? We're, we're in a time where gas price, everything is inflated. That's no doubt. Everything is inflated from housing market to eggs at the market to now our gas prices. And so like, we're in a time where things are very strange and like a lot is happening at any given moment. Um, but like, let's just hone in on like these gas prices. Right. So in 2020, nobody was really driving. Everybody was really at home because of COVID just started. Everybody was freaking out and there was a stay at home order. And so, uh, driving in cars, wasn't a big thing. Um, it wasn't as large, obviously. Right. Cause nobody was going anywhere. Um, and then 2020, so 2020, these all these oil companies like Exxon and Shell, they all took massive hits. And so they took very large profit hits. Uh, not necessarily like, yeah, sure, it affected him for the fiscal year. But if you take their history in consideration, it wasn't even a drop in the bucket, right? And so in 2021, um, now everybody was like getting out and people were calling it the age of um, the age of adventure. What would they call it? the age of adventure right? of, of last year? Because everyone was inside and then everybody wanted to start going out, partying, traveling. Um, and so like that was a big thing. And so obviously driving and gas prices go up. Um, and so they took massive profits last year. Like they increased um, like over 20, like Shell, I think, for example, they took a $20 billion profit compared to a $23 billion loss, a profit loss, right? Not a loss. So that, that's the interesting thing about these guys, these business guys, they just frame it to make it seem like it's okay, but it doesn't mean it is okay. Right. Um, and so like, just as an example, Shell, they took like a $23 billion profit loss in 2020, made a $20 billion come up in 2021. And Congress, so I'm very double-sided. Let me just finish real quick. So Congress's whole thing was, hey, guys, like, obviously prices are extremely high right now. How about you give society a break and lower prices? It's not like you guys are going to be affected that much, right? Like, take, take a loss on your profits, just a, a slight loss on your profits uh, compared to what they are now. And so, like, society isn't affected as much. Uh, the, the dilemma with that is now the government is trying to like box them in. Right. And I don't necessarily, I don't believe in that. I'm a libertarian. And so I believe that businesses should be able to do as they please. Um, it, unfortunately things like this do happen. Right. And what the companies are really doing, they're just adapting to the current environment, the current climate. It has nothing to do with the previous year. Like the previous year happened. Right. And so sure they took a profit, but doesn't mean they're not trying to take a profit this year. Uh, if prices are higher for their crude oil, why are they going to go ahead and, you know, lower their prices to society? That's how things work. You know, it, even in restaurants, you see like, we'll talk about avocados, for example. So avocados for a long time, um, for about two years, I think there were, there was extremely low supply. And so what do restaurants do? They had to buy it at a higher price. And so they just charge you know, customers more money. So, you know, oil prices, obviously at a larger scale, that's exact thing that they're doing. They're taking um, crude oil at a higher price and they're selling it to society for a higher price. I don't like these high gas prices. So, I mean, like, sure, it'd be nice if they did lower prices, but I don't expect them to do so. Um, if that, if that makes sense to you guys. Uh, I mean, we, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't expect them to either, but are they, are any of the companies actually, you know, uh, going through with it and going to? No, none of them. Th their whole point was they, they're not going to do it. Congress, you know, called them to hearing. So they had no choice but to go to hearing. 
Um, but their their issue was, sure, like we took a loss 2020, we took a profit gain in 2021. Why should that affect our current climate? Like the political climate, the economic climate is completely different than it was in 2020, right? And so like there shouldn't be a comparable there. They're also saying that oil prices aren't set by necessarily by oil companies, but by the international markets. And they can't really, the only thing that Biden is saying that they can potentially do is that they're sitting on a lot of uh, unused, uh, like they have permits, right, for production on a lot of yeah. uh, federal And they're sitting lands. on a lot of oil themselves. There's 9,000 of these permits that the government has issued them, and they're just sitting on them, not using mm-hmm. them for production. And he's saying that you either use it or lose it, and that's his policy. So, like, if you don't use it, you lose it. So, like, you have to, like, pay something like a fine on it or something like that and uh, i don't think it was a fine but they're something like that i think it's a fee or something on your non-producing acres or something and so that's what he's saying that th- these companies can technically do which i think seems feasible but um you know because they are approved permits and they're just sitting on them not doing anything they yeah. also go ahead i, I mean i'm fine uh, as i mean the, the way ibrahim described it i'm fine with that um, law maybe where they you know require them to use unused permits to you know increase oil uh, I mean decrease oil prices but in terms of just lowering expecting companies to lower prices because of some you know uh, thing that happened two years ago or you know whatever economic state was back then is just kind of I don't see that happening I mean we live in like a pretty capital- yeah exactly yeah. right and we don't expect um, we shouldn't expect you know, someone to give out freebies or anything like that. So I think another dilemma is the government sitting, they do sit on a large oil reserve, right? And they can deflate the oil market by, you know, giving or not, maybe not giving, but selling oil at a lower price, just like they were doing in, in 2020. Like, do you remember how low oil prices were? It's because like they were deflating and there was a higher, um, it, okay, there was a higher internal oil system as well. But aside from the point, they sit on a, a large oil reserve that's supposed to last us over 10 years so, if all oil were to deplete completely, right? And so, um, I mean, that's the number that I heard. I don't know how factual it is. I haven't, I haven't fact-checked it, so, um, so you can get me there. Yeah, um, I don't know about the exact number, but I know that uh, Biden is using the oil reserves right now. And I think uh, if I remember correctly, it's already dropped by 40%. So however much we had, we've already used up 40% of 40%, it. 40%? No, no way. It's 100. Yeah, they've, yeah. I think they're releasing 180 million barrels of oil. And this is on a... To the U.S. or nation or uh, oh, worldwide? To the, to the U.S. To, the, to US. the U.S. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The U.S. has like this um, oil reserve. I forget the official. It's called the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And it has 605 million barrels of petroleum in it. And they're released... Biden is going to yeah, so 180 million. I have this article pulled up right here. So uh, the country's uh, oil reserves were used to be 564 million barrels. And currently right now it's 384. So that's 40% drop. So we, they, um, Biden is uh, releasing uh, the oil reserves, but I mean, it's still 1 million barrels of oil per day. From the yes. reserve for the next 180 days. Okay. So he is trying to deflate the prices now, right? So yeah. I guess, Yeah. Okay, by 2028, our 
our oil reserve could fall to as little as 238 million barrels, which would last us 238 days. Okay, but the interest, okay, so I guess that's fair. Then he is deflating the prices. So that's fair. So he's just asking for more assistance from the companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's doing, yeah. he's trying his best to do his part. I'll give him credit yeah. for that. Yeah. I, okay. I, you know, as much as like I make fun of, uh, you know, Sleepy Joe and I don't like how what a lot of these uh, things that Joe Biden does and says, um, I think how he handled, you know, the Ukraine Russia situation was fine. And um, overall, like fair. how he's ha- trying to handle, you know, uh, certain issues is fair. So, I mean, even though there's a lot of, things i don't like about joe biden some things like i feel like he get he gains unnecessary amount of hate due to like you know but the thing is you're also bound to make good choices right you're and you're bound to make mistakes and so it goes both ways i think it just unfortunately it it comes down to like are there more pros than cons in this president right right yeah that's definitely true but i mean also i mean kind of relating to the topic i was going to discuss um yeah this oil price did you know that you know uh russia the 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 eu the eu and europe is still buying about i think 40 percent of its gas from russia and 27 percent of its oil from russia yeah so um and i think that uh let me look right here it says um yeah so every day uh europe is giving about a billion euros to russia right now as we speak um for oil and gas so it's kind of ironic how we're kind of fighting uh, against russia you know trying to sanction apply sanctions on them yet uh europe is still completely relying on russia for their oil and gas um uh, supply um i don't know how i mean i don't know if there can be any further reduction in in that i, I think um what europe is trying to do is minimize the amount of oil to buy from Russia, but also, you know, buying enough that they can survive and, you know, their society can function. So um, I, I don't know if you, you guys have any ideas on like what uh, Europe can do, you know, regarding this. Uh, I mean, what, what a lot of these top security, uh, 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 you know, economic advisors are saying is they're saying that if, if we stop buying altogether oil and gas from Russia, this would end the war quicker. But I mean, to what extent can we do this and not, um, you know, you'd have to get everybody on the same page. Right. And that's exactly. impossible. Yeah, no, yeah, no. Europe is deeply in- entrenched into the Russian energy system. 40% yeah. of natural gas in Europe comes from Russia. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be really uh, hard to, to do that. Cause I mean, at a certain point in time, like they're reliant on Russia so much that it's going to directly affect people in Europe. Like it'll affect their heating, you know, like if they stop getting any, any sort of assistance from the Russian energy market. So I don't think that's going to end anytime soon. They're, they're trying their best to now be more independent, but I don't think it's, it's going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. I think an immediate solution is is very weary, but um, I think how we're going, you know, to to sustainable energy and, E, um, electricity and you know uh, solar energy and all of that i think that's like i think that's the overarching solution here to go towards that and so we don't rely on countries for you know their oil and you know hence it would save us too right it would, it would help us out environmentally um and so it makes more sense to just keep you know you know push through this you know little issue that we have right now but maybe in 10 20 years we'll be in a completely different um state of energy 
No, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, nat- uh, you know, natural resources and I mean, yeah. um, energy. So, uh, you know, that also thinking about that, I always think about how countries like Russia, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia, UAE, how they're going to kind of function 20 years in, down the line where we're not that reliant on gas. I mean, I think we'll always be reliant on gas to like a certain extent for the next like 50 years, but um, you know, it's going to be significantly reduced. And I just wonder how these countries that primarily get their money from selling gas, um, how they're going to function when that's going to be a smaller market and they're not just going to be able to get that much money. You know, I'm sure they'll maybe not because a lot of companies don't that are that old and like old school mindset. Um, But the smart thing to do is adapt, right? Adapt to the coming age and, you know, maybe invest more in uh, solar or, you know, in wind, Eh, wind is pretty crappy actually, but you know, it's getting better. better. It's getting better. Is it getting better? Yeah. It's getting significantly better. And so you, okay, is solar too. Solar is getting cheaper and better, but that's true. Yeah. So, okay. Check this out. So I was doing a lot of research on uh, wind energy and okay. So you go out to um, uh, Palm Springs, right. And you see all these crazy windmills and these cool windmills that are huge. So they actually produce less in capital than they do produce energy. So they, they literally take losses on every single windmill. The issue is they have no choice. Like for the longest time, we didn't have an option. We had to do it right to have sustainable energy. So Edison and like the government, they've just been taking losses on these windmills. So mm-hmm. like, that's why you don't really see any private sectors have windmills or have like wind energy because, because they just take losses. It doesn't make sense to, to produce them. Like mm-hmm. the maintenance on these is ridiculous like it's millions and millions of dollars while these windmills are producing like i think it's they're producing like less than three million each windmill a year and it costs like four million to build and maintenance per year if if yeah that's exactly what it is and so they're taking a loss of net one million a year on each windmill in order for us to just have some energy and electricity which is kind of commendable right i mean they're they're willing to take a loss for for the betterment of society i guess i just thought that was interesting i mean i don't know about that i feel like they could be investing if i i didn't even know about this but if they are you know losing money i don't know if that's even if it's benefiting society um i feel like i mean it's a government they can i feel like they can allocate those funds to something that would actually you know uh like solar or other which is what's happening yeah yeah but i mean windmills have been around for decades right Solar yeah, is true. Relatively new, I would say. Yeah, yeah. It just used to be very pricey, yeah. but now it's getting way cheaper. So. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, do you want to talk about the stuff that you want to the NATO? Um. Oh right, yeah. So the one one more thing that I uh, just wanted to discuss was, um, you know, the war still going on in Ukraine and Russia, and um, just for future uh, safety reasons, NATO says the the Alliance chief says that. They will be supplying um, neighboring countries that are part of NATO. Um, uh, so ar- around Russia that are part of NATO, uh, they're going to be supplying them with, you know, military weapons like um, uh, uh, defense systems, uh, airstrike systems, uh, and even um, maybe military forces like in terms of soldiers in the future. Um, so that, you know, to prevent any future invasion. This seems like a logical move, um, but I, I just feel like um maybe it's a little uh i mean 
because of the war going on right now, it makes sense. Um, it does feel a little, um, a little like a provocative. If if I was like a Russian, um, it seems like all these military forces in my border. It, it is exactly what Russia didn't want with Ukraine, and now it's happening, and it's because of their actions. Um, what do you guys think about this as a whole? Do you think like this is? I mean, it seems pretty logical, but I feel like Russia may see this as another sign of you know potential attack or threat. It's like they may see it as a potential attack or threat, but like, how long are we just going to accept that Russia has all like when when is action right? When do you do when do you commit action? Do you just like? adhere to what russia says and it's everything's okay or do you do something about it right i mean I, I, they're not necessarily even doing anything about it they're just providing defense because you know they're part of like a clan together they're part of you know nato together right and it's like you, are you just gonna be i don't want to say the word but just whipped by russia and and just like do whatever russia says that, that's yeah. how i that's how i see it. i just yeah, sure, they might see it, but screw them, you know? You got to do something, too. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. Um, and especially with, like, I don't even think, to be honest, we'll see what happens in Ukraine, you know, by the, hopefully as soon as um, this war ends, hopefully uh, sometime in the near future. But it just feels like um, Russia kind of just screwed themselves, to be honest, to where it's like they tried to, you know, the whole reason for starting this war was, you know, we, we, this is, uh, the West is threatening us. And now it just feels like we're threatening them even more. You know, it just feels like they've kind of exaggerated their situation and made it even worse than it was before. So it just, it's, it's, it was a scapegoat. It was not the reason. Yeah. Yeah. The I West mean, I, wasn't. Yeah. yeah, obviously, but like even them trying to in, invade Ukraine is failing miserably. Um, so were you going to say something, Ibrahim? No, I mean, I'm just going to say, yeah, Russia is screwed economically for the next five, 10 years at least to come, maybe even more. And uh, yeah, it's backfired. We'll see. The war is still not ended. You know, there's a lot still left. Russia's, yeah. again, like recalculating and focusing their shift more on the east side where they have, um, where they've conducted military activities before. And I think Putin just appointed finally like a, a commander. Uh, who's going to be responsible for overlooking the war. There wasn't any official Russian commander that was leading the war effort, and now there is one. Uh, and, um, you know, we'll see what happens. But it's not uh, looking good for Russia right now. But that's not to say that they can't, uh, you know, create a comeback of sorts and, uh, you know, create more damage for Ukraine. So we'll see what happens. The thing is, they can, right? They can just, I mean, they've committed so many war crimes, right? They can just take over, but they're, they're not. No, they, they, they haven't been able to. They, they're trying to. They literally have been trying. I mean, you can't I use nuclear know, weapons, man. obviously, but they've been trying to. Russia has failed militarily. Like, they have done so poorly. The morale, like Max was saying four weeks ago, the guest that we interviewed, is just low, and it just keeps getting lower. If you look at the, 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 the talk between these Russian soldiers... There were some intercepts that that were leaked and the Russian soldiers just saying, like, I just want to go home. I don't want any of these medals that Putin promised me. I just want to go home. And like when 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 a military force suffers the amount of defeat and the embarrassment that Russia so far has, it's like it's a lot. It, it just like a trickle down thing. Right. It, it The soldiers 
don't see the point of, of fighting. Uh, and it's yeah. Russia has just like legitimately they're trying their best to win and they're not winning. They're not winning uh, because, uh, you know, the ammunitions that the West is providing to Ukraine is working. The help that Ukraine is receiving is working and Ukrainian soldiers are fighting for their life, you know, and they, and they are. Okay, that, that's all fair. That's all fair. But OK, think about it. Sure, morale can be down on the Russians part, right? Like they sh- they don't want to fight, but they have way more numbers that the numbers significantly outweigh like this citizens to citizens also, it does and like the thing is nup quantity will always like like sure it ha- like sure it happens like ukrainians are fighting for their lives and that significantly helps like their fighting chances because it, they burn their boats right it, essentially and they have no choice right now but the thing is if they just if numbers outweigh it they can it, that's what doesn't make sense to me. I, don't, I don't understand the logic behind that Behind, like, low morale. No, Russians are not. NATO estimates that upwards of 40,000 Russian soldiers have been killed. 40,000 Russian soldiers. Like, it is the the defeat that Russia is experiencing is, like, actually, we haven't seen such a big superpower experience the kind of defeat that Russia is experiencing by a Exactly, which doesn't make sense. What do you mean? It doesn't it, make it sense. It makes total sense to me because Ukraine is just fighting a better war. It's their country. They know it better than Russia, number one. Number two, they have more of a reason to fight. They are fighting. So there's there's – I really – I'm not them. saying – what I'm saying is Russia has way more resources and Russia has way more boots on the ground. They have more – they have more air. I think – they have. I don't More know what land? Boots on the ground, they, they can. They, I, I, don't I think. How was that? Of course no, they do. No, no, no. I, I don't know. No, Militarily? No, yeah, no, no, no. I think you. Come on, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, let, let's do. Let's, and in let's war, check, it doesn't check. really. It doesn't necessarily. It doesn't matter in in again twenty first century warfare. Like if you have more people that you'll. Guys, I think war. one thing to factor in is also uh, Russia is using uh, a lot of like their guns and aircraft from Soviet era, so they're using nineteen sixties uh weapons from the 1960s and like aircrafts from the 1960s um and w- which I'm, I'm not saying they're bad or anything but compared to what ukraine is getting from nato is much more modern exactly and advanced yeah. technology which can give them a huge advantage but i'm not saying that's the only factor but that yeah. can be a possible factor going into why uh, su- the success of ukraine or the current success of ukraine oh no absolutely the ammunition that they've been receiving from like the U.S. and other countries is way more technologically advanced than what Russia has been using. And, and again, I think morale has to do a lot with it because a lot of Ukrainian civilians have picked up arms and uh, Russia's strategy has just not worked. You and know? I, I think one more factor to consider alongside like the technology is maybe just the intelligence. Like think about, yes. think about NATO's, the amount of intelligence NATO has. Yes. You know, a lot of these wars, like World War II was one with intelligence. You know, they, they broke the Enigma machine, uh, Britain and a lot of like, you know, uh, the codes were deciphered and, and uh, the, uh, what the allies just knew what Germany was going to do. And maybe, um, you know, I think not maybe, I'm sure uh, NATO is providing Ukraine with a lot of intelligence of what Russia's next moves are and what, uh, you know, what cities they're invading or what they're planning. So, so I just so, confirmed. So you were right, Matt, that Russia is a five to one. Yeah, it's five to one. So it's 900,000. But still, look at that, dude. That just goes. That, to that's that's out. what that's insane part to me, right? Yeah, yeah it's yeah, not yeah. like 
it's not like Russia isn't credible. It's not like they don't have resources. It, it's not they like do. It's, they, yeah, they, they do. They do. They've done a good job of using them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's they, what doesn't just, make sense to me. That's what, no, that's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they're just fighting about. I mean, again, like I mean, they have poor resource allocation. Then <laughs> I yeah, mean, yeah, simple as that. Yeah, but you brought up a good point, Janish. Like I think it's a great point. The intelligence that the, the Ukrainians have been receiving from the West and the U.S. Like that, that is a good be, point. It's so strategic, and like if you use it in the ways that Ukraine has been using, it can be really effective. And, and again, I and also think part of it has to do with that Russia didn't really have a, a, a like a dedicated commander. A lot of their different units were not in, in unison. So they had a separate person for Air Force, for land troops and, and other departments. And now uh, Putin has finally appointed like one commander who's going to be leading the entire war effort. And, you know, I think that will probably end up helping Russia. We'll see. But yeah, it's been, you're right, five to one ratio. Uh, Russia had 900,000 active military personnel and Ukraine only had 196,000. <laughs> and Ukraine and Russia is- has the fifth, it's ranked the fifth largest active personnel in military yeah. in, in the world. That, mm-hmm. That's that's pretty significant, right? I mean, yeah. there's 180 countries. Yeah. Um, and there's estimates that they've lost 40,000 troops. I mean, we're not 100% sure about exactly how many, but that is astounding. 40,000 soldiers like lost. That's a lot, yeah. yeah. For sure. Um, okay, I think that's a good crazy idea. times. It is. I think it's a good note yeah. to end the podcast. Is there anything else you guys wanted to talk about? Or that's solid. Okay. Sounds good. We'll see you guys next week. Later.